It's amazing to see folks that have never seen fire up close and personal like that. And just their eyes are so bright and they realize just how approachable prescribed fire can be. And I think it's a good avenue for folks to get into this world and this realm. Hello and welcome to Life with Fire podcast, the podcast that explores our relationship with wildfire and how we can better coexist with it in the future. I'm your host, Amanda Montai, and I want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast and apologize for the little bit of a gap that we had over the last few weeks, but we have like six episodes queued up for the rest of the summer through the fall. Cannot wait to release some of the episodes that we've been working on and that we've been recording over the last few months. We have authors, we have scholars, we have indigenous practitioners, we have communication experts, all sorts of folks, all sorts of great perspectives coming up on the show over the next few weeks. So we hope that you will stay tuned for all of that. Just a bit of housekeeping before we get into this episode and our guest. The first thing I wanted to mention is that we have a call for pitches out right now. We are looking for contributions related to the impacts of wildfire on vulnerable communities, especially in the West, but we are open to any pitches from anywhere in the U.S. Unfortunately, we can't support any international contributions at this time, but we are just starting to kind of dip a toe into the idea of bringing in contributors and having more folks reporting from their own communities and talking about these issues from their own communities and with folks that they maybe know personally or maybe they know that issue personally, they know that area and how it's been impacted personally. That's really what we're kind of honing in on right now is to support kind of grassroots storytelling and support non-sort of anti-parachute journalism, being able to support people who live in those communities that have been affected. And so that's the gist of it. You can learn more about this call for pitches on our website. It's on our blog right now. Otherwise, you can go on our social media and it's linked there as well. If you have any questions about that, feel free to reach out. I would love to get a handful of pitches and the idea being maybe we can only support two or three of those stories at this moment, but as we get more funding, maybe we can support more of those community contributions in the future. That is the goal. And that's kind of what we're working towards is being able to support more creators and support more stories from the communities that have been impacted themselves. To that end, a lot of this is supported by our Patreon patrons. So the folks that support us on Patreon, there's about 32 of you right now, and it is uber appreciated that we have that many people that are supporting the work that we do and believe in us and believe in what we're up to. So if you are interested in supporting this kind of initiative and these kind of contributions from these communities, we would love it if you could support us on Patreon or if you just like what we're doing and want to help us out, then that is a great way to do it. And we are super appreciative of it. Okay, that's what I have for housekeeping, logistics, and asking for money. It's really helpful in supporting what we're doing, so I have to do it sometimes. But yes, moving on into our episode. Today, we are talking with Lucas King. Lucas King is the stewardship crew lead at Mount Adams Resource Stewards. Mount Adams Resource Stewards is a really cool organization. And in fact, we talked to the executive director of Mars, Jay McLaughlin, in episode 28 of the podcast. So if you're interested in learning more about the community forest side of this organization, then definitely go check that episode out. Today's episode definitely focuses more on the stewardship crew, but we also Talk to Lucas about the Washington State Prescribed Burn Manager Program, which both Lucas and I have done in the past. It's a super cool program. We talked about that. We talked about opportunities for engaging the recreation community in doing more fuels management or fuels reduction work. 
and generally just about building more awareness of prescribed fire and prescribed fire initiatives in kind of the Western Washington and sort of Cascade zone. So I brought Lucas on because I think he's kind of at the forefront of this conversation that's happening in Washington about how we can bring more awareness to the idea of prescribed fire and private land burning and how we can create these systems and crews like the stewardship crew to get those objectives met and get more folks on board with prescribed burning. So with all that being said, let's get into our new episode with Lucas King. As always, I appreciate you guys listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. My name is Lucas King. I am the Stewardship Crew Program Lead here at Mount Adams Resource Stewards. We're a small community-based nonprofit that does a lot of things, but the goal of the Stewardship Crew is to increase stewardship capacity, stewardship and restoration capacity in the South Mount Adams landscape. So the crew started four years ago, and we've grown ever since. But prior to coming to this job about two, two and a half years ago, I was with the Washington Department of Natural Resources, started as a wildland firefighter, a seasonal wildland firefighter in 2015. And then my last position there was a product of House Bill 1168 as a wildland fire and forest health specialist in Houston, Washington. And was in that position for about a year before coming to Mount Adams Resource Stewards. But as a seasonal wildland firefighter and then a full-time primary wildland firefighter, just a lot of good exposure to fire in communities and reducing fire risk. And that's kind of inspired my passion behind my current position here at Mars. This is something I've been thinking about a lot lately is just how often folks in the prescribed fire space got their training and their qualifications from suppression work. And I'm curious, like, is that something that Mars is thinking about, like how to bring people in without requiring them to have that fire experience or previous sort of suppression experience? Like, how does that sort of play into what Mars is doing a little bit? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I guess my first fire experience was burning piles on the family farm, you know, brush, cleaning ditches, etc. I really didn't realize how big of a deal that was or how much that has impacted my career to this day. And then at Mars, the crew, while heavily involved in fire risk reduction and community resiliency, we do a spattering of other work, be it trails, tree planting, building beaver dam analogs. So kind of full-scale stewardship and restoration work. So it's really important for us to bring folks in with all types of backgrounds, whether it's wildfire-specific, prescribed fire, trail work, forestry, you know, folks coming from outdoor education. So just bringing folks in with a lot of different backgrounds. And the learning curve is steep with prescribed fire, but the best way to be an experienced crew is through experience. And so it is truly a little bit of trial by fire with the crew. It's, it's learning as we go. Really with Mars as the organization with Mount Adams Resource Stewards, trying to build capacity on all levels. So the stewardship crew is supporting local private landowners. We're supporting state, federal agencies, our tribal partners, other nonprofits and conservation districts. And then we're also trying to build an on-call list and starting a prescribed burn association to where volunteers bring their pickup trucks and their water tanks or their shovel and come out and bring your jeans and your long sleeve shirt and we'll provide you a hard hat and you know just put good fire in the ground make it approachable try to make it not so scary a lot of the interaction most people have with fire is seeing houses burning down on the tv and so if we can take a little bit of that fear away and see some good fire burning through pine needles that you can walk through it's a pretty amazing thing to open the eyes of, of private landowners and then get them excited about burning their own property for the good for forest health and fire risk reduction. 
Yeah, you guys are really embodying the all hands, all hands approach to this. It's pretty cool that I feel like you guys are sort of bridging this gap between these state agencies or between these organizations that are doing the bulk of the burning, but then also community members kind of like bringing it down to their level, like you're part of the community. Yeah, I feel like this is just a really cool sort of structure. What analog have you guys used sort of as you've gotten this program off the ground or are you kind of just making it up as you go, like based on what you think is needed? Who are you sort of looking to, I guess, as a role model? It's so place-based and community-specific. You have fire districts that are entirely volunteer or you near a city with paid staff. You have conservation districts that are more or less comfortable with prescribed fire. How invested in partnerships are state and federal agencies willing to support this work? Definitely building the airplane as we're flying a little bit here, while at the same time trying to look at other models other fuels crews that are based out of fire departments, the Nature Conservancy and their prescribed fire modules. A lot of folks we get come from Conservation Corps style crews. And so trying to kind of be this hybrid model of taking the best bits and pieces from all of that and uh, maybe making a new model that communities can lean into to increase base and scale of stewardship work, recognizing that it's so important in this day and age. Yeah, I feel like you guys are crushing it too. I am curious what you guys are up to right now. Like what kind of stuff are you working on right now, this week, this month? How much burning are we, are you guys getting done? I've been really busy with burning, so I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, you know, and most of burning, at least for us, like the dragging the drip torch, the fun stuff is for a day, but so much of that work, I was just got off the computer before this call writing burn plans. But the burn plans, the preparation, the line construction, Limbing up trees, especially when we're working right around private landowners, we really need to have that unit prepped. So that's what a lot of the crew does in the spring, kind of the critical training. We do some springtime planting, and then we're doing a lot of defensible space projects, which the goal is to work with those landowners and get that comfortability and ultimately follow it up with prescribed fire. And then hopefully 10, 15 years down the road, we're following up with a, another introduction of prescribed fire. The crew is out pile burning today around a, a private landowner house near the Clickitat River. And another crew is doing chipping in Hood River, Oregon. So all over the place. So working with the conservation district, working with private landowners, it's really cool to see. And as much as we can, we're trying to take what we're doing now and push prescribed fire as much as we can. That's the future for the crew in a big way. And now being May, it's kind of all hands on deck for prescribed fire. We went up and did a red card training with the city of Roslyn Fire Department. And we were able to, with a private contractor up there, do about 150 acres of burning on private lands, which was really cool and a scale not seen super often these days in Washington State, but hopefully will be more and more so. And then a couple 10 to 30 acre units planned down here in the next couple of weeks, as well as a, a learn and burn, which we're trying to invite small organizations and, and private landowners that are trying to get more comfortability around prescribed fire, teach everything from firing techniques to smoke management, to burn permits, to what's a bladder bag, how to run an engine, how to make an engine out of your own pickup truck with a horse trough in the back, you know, really trying to make it approachable for the average landowner. In these cases, especially with private landowners, who's funding that? Is that like a DNR or is that like sort of just like a cobbled together grant funding situation? Who's funding these bigger burns on private land? Is the landowner themselves? 
Yeah, ultimately right now, it's a lot of the burden is on the landowners. Some of that can be funded through a cost share program that DNR has that the prescribed burning portion of it hasn't been used a whole lot, at least as I'm aware of. We've started using a little bit and I'm sure they'd love to see more acres treated on private land with prescribed fire. And DNR, I know, is making some more investments in operational prescribed fire on private lands. I hope to see some opportunities around that in the next couple of years. But right now it is on the backs of the landowners and it's cool to see that some of them are able to step up at this point. That is really cool to hear that folks value it enough to spend however much money it would cost to get 150 of their acres burned. That seems like a good chunk of change to have some management done on your land. Like I love that people are valuing that to the tune of probably tens of thousands of dollars if I had to guess. I don't know. It's not just for fire risk reduction. We were up on a burn that, you know, doing prairie restoration, doing ecological enhancement. It's like really cool to, that it's not just one dimensional. We're already starting to see burns. That the objectives are to learn, to restore prairie, to recruit snags, and then, you know, as a kind of a byproduct for reducing the fire risk around their homes too. Right. But the fact that they know that that's important too, and that they value that and like whatever sort of community education went into them understanding how important fire is to all of those different objectives is pretty cool. Yeah. Is there an element of education in what you guys do at Mars? And what does that sort of look like for you? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a big lift. It's probably the biggest lift of getting people from what is prescribed fire or is prescribed fire even a thing to, you know, doing some walk and talks with folks, lighting a 10 by 10, pulling out the lighter and lighting some pine needles. It's showing that like, this is what the fire intensity is going to be through your property, as well as these learn and burn events. We have a working group in Trout Lake called the Fire Adapted Community of Trout Lake Working Group. And that's a collaboration of the local fire department, the community council, Mount Adams Resource Stewards, the Conservation District's DNR, and like bringing like that really diverse group together to push prescribed fire forward. Prescribed fire is not applicable or appropriate everywhere. And so maybe there are different strategies that we have to take, whether it's doing fuels reduction with private contractors and mastication or bringing the crew in and doing the Finer tuning. This might be a hard one, but I am curious if you've had things that have come up recently, any challenges, any problems that you've been able to overcome. Maybe talking through common problems and how you guys have sort of figured out a way to adapt and overcome. Yeah, being an organization, one of the few private organizations that's doing prescribed burning in Washington state, it's been kind of a collaborative or collective learning between us and our local regulators, the fire departments, and the county, and then the Department of Natural Resources. And it's been a really good experience working through the process with them. There's bugs in the burn portal, which you know, allow folks to get a burn permit. At least a couple of years ago, it really wasn't set up for broadcast burning. It was just really fine-tuned for pile burning. And so working with DNR, working with our county commissioners, working with our fire chiefs to just kind of figure out the process, who needs to be notified, what does a burn plan look like for private landowners? You don't need the 21 element NWCG burn plan that often is 30, 50, 80 pages long. Like that's just a barrier for private landowners as far as the time and investment it takes to do that. And while the burn plan should still be fairly comprehensive and robust, when you're burning an acre or two, it can be a lot simpler. Your contingency can be, you know, call the local fire department five or 10 minutes down the road and not have a strike team staged. That's been kind of the biggest struggle. It feels a little bit like we're swimming upstream at times, but it's a worthwhile cause. And I think 
the momentum is there with prescribed fire in the Northwest and in Washington State specifically with the investments that are being made. And then also DNR's certified prescribed burn manager program, which has really enabled organizations like ours to manage risk and liability a little bit better. Yeah. I was literally just about to ask you about that because we've both taken the prescribed burn manager course at this point in Washington State. I was intimidated as hell when I got out of that course. I was like, I'm never going to do a broadcast burn. This is scary. I know that's not what they intended. And I think that it's just a personal anxiety thing for me. But I am looking forward to doing some more burning. I'm going to do some burning with you guys this fall in the gorge. And I'm hoping to get on at least another one or two burns and like get a drip torch in my hand again. It's been four years, I think, since I've done any burning. And just like kind of bring it back to like feeling a little more comfortable with the idea of it. I think I'm just unfamiliar. I'm like, I haven't been on a fire in a while. And so it's just feeling a little, uh, I don't know. I just like am so intimidated by the thought of like putting a burn plan together right now, even after taking the course. That being said, I think it was a fantastic resource and I really enjoyed it. And I'm curious what your takeaways were and how it helped you in the role that you're in now, like how it prepared you for it or how it just sort of legitimized your role in some way or something to that effect. So I try to start every prescribed fire briefing with the most dangerous thing we do with a prescribed fire is drive to the prescribed fire. We just don't realize it. So as long as folks have made it there safely, like the rest of the day is cake and then getting home is the most dangerous part. Yeah. So the certified prescribed burn manager course, uh, it was, again, I was in the first class that was open to the public. And then I was also the first one to go through the certification process. Again, it was new for me. It was also new for DNR and and Kyle that was doing that certification. So it was a little bit of a push and pull or two steps forward, one step back. But again, a good experience. Everyone's willing to learn. I think that's the one thing that I love about the prescribed fire community is we're all here to learn. We're all here to learn new techniques, put good fire on the ground. Be students of fire. Absolutely. (laughs) That term I hear so much. (laughs) And wildfire does really inform, you know, just watching fire move through different fuel types does really inform how we apply fire intentionally. Totally. Like when I think about the burns that I've done in the past that are like 2,000, 3,000 acre forest service burns that are like pretty meaty, I think about it and I'm like... (laughs) It actually wasn't even like that. It wasn't a big deal. It was like, we'd get a little slop over here and there to be expected on like a 3,000 acre burn that's like across a number of different aspects and in weird terrain that gets different wind influences. It's like, oh, I think about that when I'm thinking about planning a burn and I'm like, no, I know that I'm supposed to bring it back down to like, no, it's going to be like 50 by 50 or like literally somebody's backyard or something, you know, pretty mellow. And it's probably going to be like brush or like, grass. It's just that my only analog is really just like these huge broadcast burns in timber. And it's like, that's so scary to me, but realistically, it's going to be grass. My first burn, probably. (laughs) I would hope anyway. Yeah. Grass, pine needles, like flame lanes that are a foot or two or three, and hopefully winds under 10 miles an hour. So things aren't Mm -hmm. moving too quickly. And it's amazing to see folks that have never seen fire up close and personal like that. And just their eyes are so bright and they realize just how approachable prescribed fire can be. And I think it's a good avenue for folks to get into this world and this realm. This is maybe a little less tangible of a question because I don't have it written down, but it's something I've been thinking about more of like, 
how to engage people, community members, people who live in these rural areas in fuel mitigation or reduction. You know, I'm just thinking about like the outdoor community on the West Slope of the Cascades is pretty significant. I know a lot of folks in the Mount Adams area that are like really into mountain biking, really into trail building. And it's like, I keep thinking about how we can engage those folks in fuels reduction work. Even trail building can be a productive fuel reduction activity. So is this something you think about? Is this like something that Mars could potentially have a place in, in terms of engaging those folks? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my mind goes there all the time. I always think about these opportunities. Like, And I think a really good program that we have is our Mount Adams Community Forest Program, where our land is actually owned and managed by the nonprofit for the community. That's continuing sustainable timber harvests to keep local jobs and keep the local natural resource-based economy moving. But it's also to manage for recreation and watershed conservation, and fire risk reduction around these communities. So why not you know, have an organization like Mars partner with an uh, association to build trails and have those trails multi-use, like be a line or a unit for a prescribed fire, be a somewhat of a fuel break whether it's the trail builders or the prescribed fire practitioners, like working hand in hand, limit up those branches that are going to poke you in the eye or also be a ladder fuel prescribed fire. Like, yeah, maybe different goals, but we're doing the same work. The more we can work with our local recreation partners to help the cleaner air, the cleaner water, at the end of the day, we're going to have the cleaner trails. Yeah, it's going to be wonderful. Yeah, it's like my utopic dream is to find ways to get mountain bikers, especially just because I know so many mountain bikers that love building trails. And I'm like, we could be utilizing these skills <laughs> and building trail is it's nothing if not just building fireline <laughs> and fireline is nothing if not just a fuel reduction strategy. So I'm like, we should get these people engaged somehow. But I know Rosalind, the community forest up there does something similar. It seems like they do a lot of burning on their community yeah. forest and then they have an amazing trail network up there. I love that as an analog for other communities, especially those like rural communities that are right abutting some of that, those fire adapted ecosystems. And nothing pains me more than seeing a dozer line put down a property line just because you can't work with your neighbor to burn. That's why this all lands, all hands approach is so important in prescribed fire too, as well as, you know, forest health treatments and fuels reductions. Because if you can not put a dozer line down a fence line, but you can burn right through it up to a trail or a two track or a highway. Why not work together? Uh, why not when you have all those resources there, like collaborate versus we have our box, you have our box. There's so much opportunity there for cross-boundary burns, whether it's private landowner to private landowner or private landowner agencies. I know it's not that challenging. I think the perceived challenge is big, but if we can get in touch with the right folks and incorporate those bigger boxes, those adjacent parcels in the planning process of prescribed burns, often federal agencies will, you know, take on the burden and the risk for burning your land and doing you a favor. So all for cross-boundary burning. Yeah, totally. We need a bigger box, <laughs> as they say in suppression. Okay. I don't have any other questions, but I would love to know if I missed anything or if there's anything you wanted to touch on that I didn't ask about. Start with the stewardship crew. I think just a little bit of backstory there. Madam's Resource Stewards as an organization tried to really work and network local contractors with agencies and, and folks needing the work done. And we tried that for many, many years and without a whole lot of, kind of fruitfulness. 
And so that was kind of when the vision came into place of the stewardship crew in 2016, 17. And then finally, the first crew was formed as a four or five person crew in 2018. So as much as we have going on here, the crew is still in our infancy and we have so far to grow and so much to learn. And now in a month or so, we'll probably push in a 12 to 14 person crew, which seems really small on the forest service scale when a 20 person crew, you know, they're spatted around everywhere. But the capability of a 12 person crew to do really impactful stewardship and restoration work in communities when they're working from March 1 to December 1, that's a really good chunk of time. You know, we're battling restrictions with IFPL waivers or industrial fire precaution level waivers where we can't run chainsaws in the woods, habitat restrictions, access in the upper elevations when there's snow until June and trying to figure out how do we prep a unit when we want to burn it, but we want to burn it right as the snow melt melts off. So it's just really been cool to see the evolution of the crew. We're actually finalizing the assembly of our first Type 6 engine. We just bought a slip-in tank. So that'll like add additional capacity where we don't have to beg and borrow <laughs> from our local fire departments for a Type 6 engine that are entirely volunteer-based and hard for people to take off work to run one of those into where now the crew can bring that capacity to private landowners doing prescribed burning will show up with 10 or 15 people and a prescribed fire engine. So yeah, I've just been really impressed with the people that have come through here and the passion that people bring for the job is, is really amazing to see. And then the product is just like, you start layering an acre here and a 30 acre fuel break there and a 200 acre prescribed burn there. And after a couple of years, the treatments start to overlap and overlay. And it's pretty impressive to see this landscape scale approach. And then the only thing I'd add is, you know, you know, we hire folks in the spring. Um, it's a good way to get into this world. The DNR and Forest Service, Fish and Wildlife Partners is also like a great way. They will train people from zero experience. When you show up with your best effort and a positive attitude, you have the ability to go a long ways in this world. And the growth that I see from folks with little to no experience, you know, after three or four years in, it's a world of difference. And it's pretty amazing to then in turn see them teaching folks that are new. It's a really inspiring process. I'm seeing some organizations popping up that are kind of doing similar work, but have you heard of like Terra, the Tribal Eco Restoration Association? Yeah. I feel like they're doing similar work, but it's like very indigenous focused, which I think is pretty rad. I mean, I haven't seen anything else like that. And I'm hoping they actually get them on the podcast in the next couple of weeks. But I feel like you have similar missions almost in some way. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said earlier, it's like it's so tailored to the community that you're in, whether it's a nonprofit or a tribal collaboration or like Fire Forward down in the Bay Area is doing another really cool thing with their crews and building capacity there for the California Burn Manager Program. The Roslyn Fire Department or City of Roslyn has a fuels crew. And so, yeah, it's not a one size fit all, but, you know, I do hope that we can all collaborate and learn from each other um, because. Yeah, it's not easy and it's better to learn from someone else's mistakes than <laughs> reinvent the wheel. You know, with that, I think having an organization that's able to kind of lift up the community is really beneficial versus like as much as we can push fuel reduction education and firewising your house, it's such a lift. And uh, there are, you know, so many financial and time burdens in place for folks that are already working 40 hours a week to do that additional work on top. And so to have a community organization with capacity, no matter if that's a nonprofit or a LLC or a 
fire department. Like it's huge for communities to have an organization that's advocating for them. It's all about partnerships and lean into them. And it all lands, all hands. I can't preach it enough. The federal agencies, the tribal partners, the conservation districts, the fire departments, the private landowners. It really, it takes us all. So collaborate and lean into those partnerships. All right, that is what we have for you for this episode. Huge thank you to Lucas for coming on the show and for talking about the work that he's doing through Mars. And I would encourage everyone listening to go check out the work that they're doing, especially if you're interested in community prescribed burn initiatives and in building sort of a larger prescribed fire workforce and getting folks called up and building these sort of community-based stewardship crews up uh, from the ground up, which I think is pretty cool. And I think it's something that can be utilized in other communities across the West. So definitely look into that if that's something that you're interested in. I will link to a few things in this episode's show notes. And finally, before we take off, uh, we're always kind of encouraging folks to give us reviews on Apple Podcasts just to help out with the algorithm and with getting us in front of more folks. So if you like what you're hearing, we definitely encourage you to leave a review. And otherwise, we appreciate you listening as always so, so much. And we hope to catch you on the next episode.